In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever to the ages of all ages. Amen. In the Synexarium today, we heard uh, about the, the story of the life of St. Pantelimon. And it was mentioned just like, a, it's just in one sentence, uh, but the sort of, one of the defining features of the character of the saint is his extreme gentleness. Um, and his, uh, another word for gentle is his meekness. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness is uh, this very, this, this quality which seems to kind of, uh, this adjective which seems to kind of evade us. Like, to, it's difficult for us to grasp what it is. And yet, it's not so difficult, um, it's not so difficult maybe for us to grasp what it is. Um, uh, with a little bit of help and a little bit of explanation from the fathers. And the fathers basically describe meekness as the lack of responding to the evil in this world. Not necessarily like the lack of social justice. No, I mean on a personal level. On a personal level, it's, it's to be slapped on the one cheek and to offer the other back. It's not to return evil with evil, but to return evil with good. It's one of the things that Jesus speaks about very much in the Sermon on the Mount. And we find all of the readings today are, are leading us, to, they're leading us, they're guiding us into how to develop this meekness. How to develop this meekness, which we find so clearly exemplified in the lives of the saints. In the second reading today, St. James talks about judgment and he tells us not to judge, not to judge our brother, because then we're not a doer of the law, but a judge. What happens when we judge? What happened in the gospel today when the Pharisees judge Jesus and they say, you are not, you know, you cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. You have more demons and that's why you're able to cast out demons. Of course, what they're saying doesn't really make sense. And Jesus tells them, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The, 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 the essential reason why the Christ is calling us to the spirit of non-judgmentalness, it's a spirit of simply saying, it's none of my business. It's a spirit of simply saying, no comment. I, I, it's a spirit of overlooking the, the, the faults and the miseries of the people around us. Not overlooking the miseries of the people around us and refusing to help them, no. But some, a lot of the time when people react poorly or when people act uh, or do things that are, are painful or mean or cruel to others, they do it from a place of insecurity or a place of their own suffering, of their own pain, right? And, and it, it, by, it gives so much grace to that person when we just, we, when we just overlook that. When we don't make a fuss out of it, right? But the essential reason for it, to, be, to, to cut to the chase, is the Eucharist. The essential reason for it is, is the incarnation. The essential reason for it is the, the whole mission and purpose of Christ. The, the, the Christ came on earth to be with us. And, and thus His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. 
And the good news that was preached to the shepherds was glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And I was telling some of our servants yesterday that to you and, to you and me, that doesn't sound like, like a big deal. But you have to understand that the gods of antiquity, they did not have goodwill towards men. They caused all kinds of evil things to happen to, 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 to humans. If you look at Greek mythology and, and other, stories, other stories about the gods of antiquity, right? The gods of antiquity were, were capricious and they, they had jealousy and affairs and all kinds of, all kinds of drama, you know? And, and humans were oftentimes the collateral damage that were caught in the middle of all of this. Right? The good news was that, that the, the disposition of God towards humanity is good. And that the incarnation revealed that God wants above all odds to be with us. And everything we're doing here in the church is this communion. We're all progressing. We're all, it's all converging to one point, which is communion, a life of communion, not just a, an act, a liturgical act an act of worship, of communion, but a whole life of, com- of, of, of common union, of communion with Christ, of having, we're so much in common that we are united with Christ. And everything is drawing into one. And St. Paul says, for he has brought, he goes, he, goes, he, he takes it to the, the nth degree, says, for he has brought all things into himself. And so Christ is overcoming every hurdle and, and flattening every mountain and overcoming every obstacle to bring all of creation together. And then I am dividing. He is good. He is bad. I like him. I don't like him. He's bratty. He's nice. He's not. He, he's this. This, that. Doesn't it sound like the, the opposite of, the, of what God is doing? It's the opposite. It's divisive. It's, forgive me, forgive me to say this, but I'm saying it to myself before I say it to anybody else. It's diabolical. Why is it diabolical? Because the word diabolos, diabolos, devil, from which devil comes, comes from the same root word as to divide. To divide. The divider. You know, if... If, if, if Satan was looking for a logo, not that I'm a graphic designer or anything, I would, I would, the logo I would give him is a wedge. You know, like, like, a, like a door stopper? A wedge, you know? That's what he does. He wedges himself between people to separate them. Wedges himself before husband and, between husband and wife to separate them. Wedges himself between parents and children to separate them. Wedges himself between friends to separate them. And we look at the things that separate us, the things over which we find ourselves separated. And sometimes, I won't say all the time, sometimes we think to ourselves, what a waste, what a waste. If I knew then what I know now, I would have never let this or that come between me and that person. But it wasn't that thing that came between you and that person. Because you're as rational now as you were then, right? And you can see the smallness of the thing that divided you from that person now. And you would have been able to see it then 
If you and I, and I include myself in this, were not, our vision was not obstructed by lies. By lies. And that's what a, what's a lie. It's, it's, it's something which is, which is said, it's a statement, which is not true. And because it's not true, it has no substance. And so it can only, per, it can only persist for so long until it gets found out. Until it becomes clear that, well, this statement actually has no substance. There's nothing behind it. And so that's what happens. There's something which divides us. There's something that causes me to judge this person. There's something, there is something. It's, there is something substantial. There is something real. Right? Surrounded by a whole cloud of lies. And so it's this little thing which is the size of, of, of you know, of a summer pea. Looks to me like... Like a, whole, like, like a whole mound. And with time, the truth reveals itself. And I find that, yes, this person did say such and such, but they didn't mean that. Or, but this, but that. Or even if they, even if they meant harm towards me, it wasn't worth losing the relationship. It was worth knowing that this person can be can get angry, you know, when they're angry, they can say things, you know, they can say hurtful things, they can this, they can that. It was, it was, that was a good lesson to learn. But it wasn't worth losing the relationship. It's almost, almost never worth losing the relationship. Almost. It's never worth losing the relationship. A friend of mine commonly says this to me, always says to me, it's about the interaction, not the transaction. Your, your, your relationships with people are about your in, the interaction, not the transaction. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what he, you or the other person got out of it. It matters how the interaction went. If the inter- interaction went well, everything will go well afterwards. One of the things that can help us to get to a, that place, that place of not being divisive, is non-judgmentalness. The archetype of non-judgmentalness, the, 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 the perfect icon and model of non-judgmentalness is the Lord Jesus Christ. But a close runner-up to him is St. Moses the Strong, who learned from his spiritual father and from the Abba of their community, St. Macarius. I won't tell you a zillion stories from the desert, but I'll just tell you one which you may have heard and is pictured in the icon that's the deepest in the altar here on the left of St. Moses. And you see him carrying a bag of sand. You may or may not have heard this story before. St. Moses, uh, when he started his life, he was a pagan, he was a slave, and he was a horrible man. He was so horrible that his master put him out. Because it's unclear in some stories that he, he killed one of the other servants and one, one, one of them, he stole something. Anyways, he committed some heinous crime in the household of his master. And so he put him out. He was not worth the trouble, you know. And he became a band of raiders and, leader, uh, 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 and, and, and thieves um, in the desert for a few years. And in that time, he sought God. And he wanted to know who who is the true God, who is the real God. And 
a voice guided him and told him, go to the northern deserts of Egypt. This was in the southern deserts of Egypt. Go to the northern deserts of Egypt and the monks there know me and they can tell you about me. So he went. So he goes up to the, to, into the desert and he meets Abba Isidore. He has a whole life change, 180 degrees, and he becomes a monk. He becomes a, a monk, he's baptized and so on, and he joins the monastery. Um, and he struggles fiercely against his demons, fiercely against his demons, so much so that he, na- he, he earned the name the strong saint Abba Moses, not for his physical strength, although he was physically very strong in his old life, that was replaced in his new life with a strength of spirit and a ferociousness in his spiritual endeavor. Anyhow, he becomes an, an old man, um, and many monks gather around him so he could be their Abba. You know? So he goes from being this horrible slave, that murderer and thief and rapist and bandit, to being the father of a monastic community. And at one point, one of the monks is caught entertaining women in his cell, to say it politely. Um, and um, Abba Moses, they, they call a council of the elders to put this monk out. You know, he's not fit to be a monk. They want to throw him out. So they call the council together, and one of the, the, the elders they called was Abba Moses. They call Abba Moses, and he doesn't come. And so they send somebody for him, and he doesn't come. And they send somebody again, and he doesn't come. And finally, they, you know, the, the, the young monk, they send to him, they tell him, Abba, they keep sending for you. They will not start without you. And so Abba Moses gets a bag of sand and cuts a little hole in the back of it, slings it over his shoulder. At this point, he's probably in his 80s, you know, and he's carrying, you know, this, this huge bag of sand. And he walks to the, to the council meeting and they ask him, Abba, let us take that from you. What are you carrying? It looks heavy and so on. He says, here I am carrying the heavy burden of my own sins and they trail behind me for all to see, but I come to judge another. Isn't that madness? All the elders are ashamed of themselves and they have mercy on that monk and they restore him back and he is restored again to the community. Abba Moses refuses to judge because he can see in his own life that his own sins are clearly evident before him. He knows he was a thief, he was a murderer, he was a bandit. You sleep, you're, you're sleeping with women you're not supposed to be sleeping with? I used to rape them. Who am I to judge you? Let us now, you and me, let us come, let us repent together and let us live a holy life because God has called us to greater than that. But he doesn't judge him. So God is calling you and I to do the same. God is calling you and I to do the same. Another famous saying of St. Moses is, let us not judge our brother because we all have our moments of weakness. And many other sayings he said about non-judgmentalness, about refusing to judge. It doesn't mean condoning the wickedness of others. It doesn't mean justifying others. It means simply recognizing that I am not the judge. It's not my place to justify and it's not my place to condemn. It's just not my place. God is the judge. Let him judge. It's my place to have mercy on my brother and to encourage him and together 
with His help to me and my help to Him, for us to walk together in the way of sanctification, in the way of holiness, and live a holier life tomorrow, God willing, than we were today. May we all bond ourselves to each other and continue this Eucharistic life, this life of communion, this life of incarnation, this life of coming together that Jesus paid such a dear price for and refuse at all costs to judge one another. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.